You are now listening to Mark's Unexplained World by Mark the Medium on Hinkley Community Radio, a non-profit podcast radio station. Tonight's episode is about Highway 16, the Highway of Tears. So over to you, Mark. The Highway of Tears is a 447-mile corridor of Highway 16, situated between the two cities of Prince George and Prince Rupert in British Columbia, Canada. The route has been the location of numerous crimes against many missing and murdered women, which began back in the 1970s. Proposed explanations for the years-long endurance of the crimes in the area and the limited progress in identifying any of the culprits include poverty, drug abuse, widespread domestic violence, disconnection with traditional culture and disruption of the family unit to the foster care system. The region, up until 2017, lacked adequate public transportation which forced many locals to resort to hitchhiking as a main form of transportation. Another factor leading to the abductions and murders of these women is that the area is largely isolated and remote. The soft soil in many areas of Highway 16 make it easy for carnivorous scavengers to carry away any human remains. So with all these factors put together, they make the area of Highway 16 an ideal place to carry out these violent attacks, as perpetrators feel a sense of impunity, privacy and the ability to carry out their crimes easier and to hide their evidence. Greetings, unexplainers. Thank you again for tuning in and listening to The Stranger Side of Life, mainly this episode, which is Mark's Unexplained World. My name is Mark Hughes. I'm a psychic medium, a true crime buff, and an all-round nice but strange guy. In this episode, I'm going to tell you about the dark story surrounding Highway 16, otherwise known as the Highway of Tears. And this week's necessary disclaimer. This story is a tale that sadly involves missing people and serial murder, particularly to females. And as such, may prove upsetting to some. You listen at your own discretion. Also, all opinions and comments are strictly my own, but the facts still remain. I also apologise if I pronounce anything incorrectly. In fact, someone asked me the other day what was the difference between ignorance and apathy. I told them straight. I said, I don't know and I don't care. Anyway, let's get back to this week's story. According to Wikipedia, Highway 16 is a highway in British Columbia, Canada 
with the number 16 first being given to it back in 1941. It is an important section of the Yellowhead Highway and part of the Trans-Canada Highway that runs across Western Canada with the highway closely following the path of the Northern British Columbia alignment of the Canadian National Railway. Originally, the route that the highway took was more to the north than it is today and it certainly was not as long as it is now. Highway 16 originally ran from the district of New Hazelton East to Aliza Lake. In 1947, Highway 16 Western End was moved from the district of New Hazelton to the coastal city of Prince Rupert. And in 1953, Highway 16 was realigned to end at the now city of Prince George. In 1969, after further construction up through 1968, it was raised to an all-weather standard. A further alignment was made east to the Yellowhead Mountain Pass, which was then opened to traffic. In 1983, Highway 16's alignment onto the group of islands known as the Haidi Gwai was commissioned and is now connected to the mainland segment via BC Ferries Route Number 11. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or the RCMP, first opened an investigation into the Highway of Tears as having linked cases in the December of 1998. Back then, in 1998, the list of cases, as it has existed at that time, included three additional male victims. They were Larry Vu, Eric Charles Koss and Philip Innes Fraser. However, they are not considered to be linked today. As of the time of writing this podcast, there have been a number of people who have been convicted in cases that are related on some way to the Highway of Tears murders. Some of the people in question are serial killers Brian Peter Arp, Dennis Edward Dennis Isaac and Cody Legabokov. Time for some serial killer trivia, I think. Brian Peter Arp was convicted in 1989 of the City of Prince George murders of Teresa Humphrey and Marnie Blancard and is now serving a life sentence. Edward Dennis Isaac was convicted of the 1981 and the 1982 murders of the Nina Joseph, Jean Kovacs and Roswitta Fuchsbickler in the city of Prince George. At the time of writing this show, Edward Dennis Isaac is still serving out his life sentence. And Andy, sorry, and Cody Allen Legabokov, who was convicted of the 2009 and 2010 murders of Jill Stuchenko, Natasha Montgomery, Lauren Leslie and Cynthia Mass near the city of Prince George, is also serving a life sentence.
Another name that was investigated by the RMCP was American rapist and suspected murderer Bobby Jack Fowler. Although he was not publicly implicated in any of the Highway of Tears cases, he was, however, implicated in numerous Highway of Tears Epana cases. <laughs> and on an interesting side note, Project Epana is a Canadian Sorry, is a Royal Canadian Mountain Police Task Force created in 2005 with the original sole purpose of solving cases of missing and murdered persons along a section of Highway 16. Though it started with the scope of just investigating victims of Highway 16, within a year of formation it morphed to include victims along Highway 5, 24 and 97. So it is no longer specifically dedicated to the Highway of Tears cases. I will go into further details of Project Epana in part three of this podcast. American rapist and suspected murderer Bobby Jack Fowler died in prison and has never been charged with any of the deaths of the Highway of Tears victims. The RCMP Epana project felt that, at the time, it was possible that Bobby Jack Fowler was linked to the Highway of Tears cases because he worked for a Prince George company called Happy Roofing back in 1974, which has now closed. But it was in the same year that one of the victims went missing. A former Vancouver Police Geographic profiler, Kim Rosmo, is on record as having said that, in his opinion, Bobby Jack Fowler is not responsible for any of the crimes along Highway 16 between 1989 and 2006. And on another interesting side note, to take us up to the first break, geographic profiling is a criminal investigative methodology that analyzes the locations of a connected series of crimes to determine the most probable area of the offender's residence. By incorporating both qualitative and quantitative methods, it assists in understanding spatial behavior of an offender and focusing the investigation to a much smaller area in the community. Typically used in cases of serial murder or rape, but also arson, bombing, robbery, terrorism, and various other crimes. The technique helps police detectives prioritize information in large-scale major crime investigations that can often involve hundreds or even thousands of suspects and tips. Geographic profiling is growing in popularity and combined with offender profiling can be a helpful tool in the investigation of serial crime. After this first short break, in part two we will look at some of the victims who went missing or who were murdered along Highway 16. This show is brought to you courtesy of Neil Packer and the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre. 
find them online at www.hauntedresearchcentre.com or at 9211 Regent Street, Hinkley, LE101AW. Open on Saturdays from 10am to 4pm for guided tours of the haunted rooms at just £3 per person. Booking is essential at all times and over 16s only please unless accompanied by an adult. The haunted rooms are extremely haunted and paranormal activity could and has taken place at any time. Some areas and particular objects or items can be quite scary and unnerving. Membership is available for £25 to qualify for selective offers. And why not download the app available on both iOS and Android for only £3.99 to keep up to date with what is coming up at the centre. The victims on Highway 16 were mostly indigenous women and accounts vary considerably as to the exact number of victims there were. According to the Royal Canadian Mountain Police, or the RCMPs as mentioned previously, Project Epana, the number of victims on the Highway of Tears is supposedly fewer than 18. While the Aboriginal organisations estimate that the actual number of victims is higher than 40. So, let us take a look at a small handful of cases regarding the missing and murdered victims along Highway 16, the Highway of Tears. First up on the list is the disappearance of Helen Claire Frost. Helen Claire Frost went missing on the 13th of October in 1970, just four days before her 18th birthday. She told her sister Sandy Frost that she was going for a walk. Helen asked her sister Sandy if she wanted to go for a walk with her, but Sandy declined because it was too cold. Helen had had a bit of a tough year, what with having recently broken up with her boyfriend and given up her firstborn child for adoption just six months before her disappearance. Helen Frost left her apartment at around 8.20pm from her home on the 1600 block of Queensway in the city of Prince George in British Columbia and has never been seen since. Helen was reported missing by her sister Sandy on the 15th of October 1970. She wasn't immediately reported missing because her sister thought that she might have gone over to stay at a friend's house. Sandy said that she took a missing persons report to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police but she got the impression from the RCMP that nothing was done. 
Her sister lamented that at the time she was too young and inexperienced to push for more action from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. There was a tip at the time that Helen Frost had hitchhiked from the Husky gas station in the city of Prince George, although when the Royal Canadian Mounted Police investigated this tip, they could find no evidence that this had occurred. Helen Claire Frost was a Caucasian female with blue eyes and brown blonde hair. She stood about 5 feet 5 inches and weighed about 125 pounds. Since birth, Helen's right eye drooped, appearing slightly closed when compared to her left eye. When she disappeared, Helen was wearing a three-quarter length navy blue nylon coat with a fake fur-trimmed hood and blue pants. Her sister, Sandy, reported that Helen had left behind her money, clothes and identification documents at their apartment. In Canada, there is no statute of limitations on serious crimes, so Helen Foster's case is still active, and over the years there have been a number of officers assigned to the case since 1970, with the most recent having been assigned in, signed in 2017. There are currently three main theories as to how Helen Claire Frost disappeared, and they include an accident a runaway, or a suicide. Next up is the disappearance of Jean Virginia Sampere. Jean Virginia Sampere, or otherwise known as Ginny, is a Canadian woman who went missing on Thursday the 14th of October 1971 outside the village of Gitsogolka on the railroad on the railroad overpass on Highway 16 in British Columbia, Canada. Her cousin Alvin Hyams Hirams, sorry, Alvin Hirams was the last person to see her alive, mainly because he was walking with her at the time of her disappearance. He went inside to get something from his home and when he came back, Ginny Samper had completely vanished. Despite the search efforts for eight days solid by both the police and the local communities following her disappearance, she was never found. The village initiated the search and the Royal Canadian Mountain Police joined in later with a police dog and police officers from other towns. A base of operations for the search for Ginny was set up. This was where the searchers were coordinated from and fed by the local volunteers. The family also did some spot searches around some of the major cities themselves, such as Vancouver and Toronto, usually after receiving a tip, but nothing worth noting was ever found. She has not been seen since. Growing up, Ginny Sampere was described as a shy, quiet person who would often let someone know of her plans, so it was out of character for her to leave completely unannounced. Jean Virginia Sampere was, has dark hair and dark eyes, 
but unfortunately, there was no public record regarding the items that Ginny Samper had taken with her when she disappeared. And even though it was a cold, dark night, she had left her jacket at home. Next is the death of Madison Scott. Madison Geraldine Scott, otherwise known as, known as Maddie, was a Canadian woman who had disappeared on the 28th of May in 2011, after she attended a party at Hogsback Lake, just 25 kilometres southeast of the district municipality Vanderhoof in British Columbia. A short but interesting side note here, a district municipality is a designation for a class of municipalities found in several locations, including Canada, Lithuania and South Africa. A municipality is usually a single administrative division having corporate status and powers of self-government or jurisdiction as granted by the national and regional laws to which it is subordinate. The term municipality may also mean the governing body of a given municipality. A municipality is a general purpose administrative subdivision as opposed to a special purpose district. Madison Scott enjoyed dirt biking, figure skating, horseback riding, team sport and hanging out with her friends. She worked as an apprentice heavy-duty mechanic on the logging industry with her father. She was described by her brother as someone who was as comfortable in a dress as she was in work overalls. Maddie Scott spent most of her life in Vanderhoof, where she graduated from Necharco Valley Secondary School in 2009. Fast forward 12 years, and one day after Maddie Scott's disappearance on the 29th of May in 2023, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or the RCMP, stated that her remains had been identified after being found earlier that month at a rural property on the east side of Vanderhoof. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police believe that foul play is involved with the disappearance of Madison Scott. However, when the police stated that they had interviewed all the partygoers at Hogsback Lake from the night of the 27th of May 2011, they reported that they had no reason to believe that a party attendee was responsible for her disappearance and had not identified anyone who would have had a grudge against Maddie or any reason to harm her. The police also reported that all the people from the party cooperated with any requests they made for a polygraph test. Another theory is that there was the involvement of a 28-year-old single father going by the name of Vrijon Bjornsson, a man who had a history of drug abuse. In an interview for the TV documentary news programme 48 Hours, Vrijon Bjornsson said that he and Maddie Scott had spent time together socially. Police investigated any of Rajon Johnson's potential involvement with Maddie Scott's disappearance, 
but both the police and the victim's families do not believe that there are any significant links between Maddie Scott's disappearance and Frijon Johnson. Johnson was subsequently murdered in 2012 in Nakazdi. On another short but interesting side note, Nakazdi Band is a Dekal or Dakel First Nation band with a main community based within the village of Fort St James, British Columbia. The Dakal First Nation band has approximately 1,977 members living both on and off the reserve. The Nakazdi band chief is Aileen Prince. The Royal Canadian Mountain Police saw no evidence of anything that could cause Maddie Scott to leave the party on her own, such as a flat tyre. Rick Beattie from Vanderhoof Search and Rescue said that, and I quote, Like the RCMP, many assisting the search came to the conclusion that Scott must have left via a vehicle because there was no evidence to indicate that she had left by foot. A vigil was held for Maddie Scott at Nachaco Valley Secondary School on the Saturday of the 3rd of June, 2023. And the last case for this podcast is the disappearance of Immaculate Basil. 27-year-old Immaculate Mary Basil, or Mackie for short, was an Indigenous Canadian woman who spent, sorry, who went missing early on Friday the 14th of June 2013 near the Kuzchi Indian Reserve, which is a 70 kilometre, sorry, 70 kilometre north of Fort St. James in British Columbia, Canada. It was reported that Mackie Basil was last seen with one of her cousins, a guy called Keith, and another man named Victor, leaving a house party at the Tachi Reserve village. According to her family, Mackie was known to be an introvert who rarely parted and was not known to drink or take drugs. She preferred to spend time at home cleaning, decorating, completing tasks, being online, talking with her sisters or spending time with her son, whom she adored. She was also very particular about who she spent time with, so it did come as a surprise to her family that she was reported to have gone to a party alone and to have been drinking. Overall, it is safe to presume that her disappearance is totally uncharacteristic of her personality in every way. Unfortunately, sizable portions of information surrounding the disappearance of Mackie Basil that night have not been made public. All we really know is that she was alone at a party for much of the night, and after midnight she then left her f- sorry, then left with her friend Victor and her cousin Keith, who have not made what happened that night public either. According to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police report to the family, Victor and her cousin Keith reported that they were riding in a white truck with Mackie Basil the night of her disappearance. And sometime early on the 14th of June 2013, the truck that Keith, 
Victor and allegedly Mackie Basil were travelling in got involved in an accident on the Leo Creek Forest Service Road between the Tachi Reserve Lodge and the Coochie Indian Reserve. Since then, there have been various sightings reported of a person who was believed to be Mackie Basil. One report was that she had been seen on the morning of the 14th of June 2013 by either a forestry worker, tree planter or a truck driver. She was also rumoured to have been attempting to hitchhike, but the details for that particular sighting are somewhat less than vague. And another sighting of Mackie was near the Sakusa Reserve, south of Vanderhoof in British Columbia. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police have followed up on all these claimed sightings and have determined that they were all false. Due to Mackie's family connections and having a young child of her own to whom she was very affectionate towards, and in addition to having no history of ever running away, it is considered very unlikely that she ran away from home that time either. And although the Royal Canadian Mountain Police are sceptical that she ran away, they are also hesitant to attribute her disappearance towards any foul play. However, at the same time, the RCMP have not ruled out the possibility of foul play either, playing a role in Mackie's whereabouts. So this leaves either an animal attack or an accident as the possible explanations for her disappearance. Immaculate Mary Basil has never been seen again. And to make matters worse for the family, on Saturday the 8th of September 2007, Mackie's cousin, Bonnie Marie Joseph, also went missing along the same corridor of Highway 16. Mary Joseph was last seen hitchhiking east towards Prince George from Vanderhoof. She was also never seen again. After this second short break, in part three, we will look at further details behind the RCMP Provisionally Funded Project EPANA sorry, and some of the improvements that have been made over the last few years to the Highway of Tears. Fright Nights was established in 1999 as the first company in the world to offer overnight ghost hunt experiences to the general public, pioneering paranormal events since the last century. Fright Nights operate at hundreds of the UK's most haunted and exclusive venues. All events have their own team of experienced paranormal investigators, mediums and psychics. They have a VIP members club for regular returning guests offering loyalty discounts and exclusive invitation-only events. They can also host private events for your family and friends. You can contact them on 07 852 998 628 or email them at office at or take a look at their website 
at www.frightnights.co.uk where you can see the many locations they investigate and learn about them and the opportunities they have available. Hundreds of ghost hunters join Fright Nights every month for the most thrilling ghost hunting experiences they'll never forget. If you haven't been on a ghost hunt before, then why not join them to see what it's all about? Why not visit their social media sites for up-to-date information on all the places they visit and to see what's coming up in the future? They look forward to seeing you all soon. Fright Nights Ghost Hunting Events. Remember, only the original will do. In 2009, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police converged on a property in Elpierre, a railway point in the Nachaco region of central British Columbia, to search for the remains of a young tree planter named Nicole Hall, who went missing on the Highway 16 on the 21st of June in 2002. The property in question was once owned by a Leyland Chuggy Vincent Switzer, who served a prison sentence for the second-degree murder of his brother and, at the time of writing this podcast, and as of later 2016, is out on day parole. And while the Royal Canadian Mountain Police were there, they also searched the property for other potential missing women from the Highway of Tears. However, no further actions were ever taken that followed that investigation. In 2005, the Royal Canadian Mountain Police launched a a provincially funded project called EPANA, which started off with the focus on some of the unsolved murders and disappearances of female children and young young women along Highway 16, the Highway of Tears. EPANA sought to discover if there was a single serial killer at work or a multitude of killers operating along the way. Project EPANA started off with just three cases in 2005. Then in 2006, the unit investigated nine cases. However, by 2007, Project EPANA's caseload had doubled to 18. And so its geographical scope began growing to larger parts of the province and not just to the Highway of Tears. The victims involved with the Project EPANA investigations followed a certain criterion. They included being female, participating in a high-risk lifestyle, known to hitchhike, and were last seen, or their bodies were discovered, within a mile from the highways of 16, 97 and 5. In the 2009-2010 year, Project EPANA received over $5 million in annual funding. But this funding has since declined due to budget cutbacks, only receiving $806,109 for the 2013 and 2014 year. 
The Royal Canadian Mountain Police Deputy Commissioner Craig Cullens in 2013 warned that further budget reductions from the provincial government would greatly affect the Highway of Tears investigations. However, he didn't say this would affect the Epana cases that aren't associated with the Highway of Tears cases. And a 2014 Freedom of Information request stated that the task force had dropped from 70 officers down to just 12 officers in 2010. There have been a couple of success stories from Project Epana, one of them being a 40-year-old mystery. In 2014, investigations by E. Parner and the Provincial Unsolved Homicide Unit brought murder charges against the violent sexual predator Gary Taylor Handlon for the death of a 12-year-old Monica Jack in 1978. Monica Jack was last seen in Merritt, British Columbia, while riding her bike. Her remains were discovered in the area 17 years later. Handling was later arrested and charged in relation to her death. He had confessed to the murder in 2014 during an undercover operation. He was found guilty by jury and sentenced to life in prison in early 2019. Thus, Monica Jack's murder became the first file in Project Epana to officially be solved with full court proceedings and sentencing. Gary Taylor Hanley was, was originally charged with first-degree murder of the deaths of two British Columbian girls in the 1970s and had a long and violent criminal history dating back to 1969. Court records reveal that Gary Taylor Hamlin was accused of killing Catherine Mary Herbert, aged 11, and Monica Jack, aged 12, and has multiple convictions as a violent sexual predator dating back to 1969. When he was sentenced to 18 years in 1979 for a rape conviction, Judge Stuart McMurrin wrote, and I quote, your record at 32 is appalling. This is your fourth sexual conviction since 1969. The judge's 18-year sentence in that case was later reduced to 12 years by the British Columbian Court of Appeal, putting Gary Taylor Handling back on the streets much sooner than the original judge had wanted. Project E. Parner now considers Gary Taylor Hamlin as a suspect in the murders of two other highway victims, namely Gail Wees and Pamela Darlington, both of whom were killed in the 1970s. Lynn Wilson, sorry, no, I'll try that again. Lynn Winnans, a longtime friend of Gary Taylor Hamlin's, gave CBS News a handwritten note saying, and I quote, the recent news regarding Gary Handlin's arrest was as much a surprise to me as it was to anyone. These hideous acts of cruelty highlight a side of Gary that was unknown to me and many others. E. Parner is still investigating the remaining unsolved cases of Highway 16. However, it is unlikely that all the cases will ever be solved. As it has been stated many times by the project, Epana is not the Highway of Tears 
nor is the Highway of Tears Ipana. However, some of the cases do overlap. Sergeant Wayne Clary from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police say they may never solve all of the cases and that it will be the, and I quote, people in the communities that are doing going to solve these crimes. The RCMP do have persons of interest in several cases, but not enough evidence to lay any charges. Poverty and a lack of any public transport forced many disadvantaged Aboriginal women to turn to hitchhiking as an alternative means of transportation along the Highway of Tears. Many of Highway 16's victims were last seen or reported to be hitchhiking before their disappearances. In March 2006, various Aboriginal groups hosted a two-day Highway of Tears symposium at the CN Centre, or otherwise known as the Canadian National Centre, in the city of Prince George. In attendance at the event were all the victims' families and over 500 Aboriginal leaders from all across British Columbia. Soon after, the Highway of Tears Symposium recommendation report was issued, and with it were 33 recommendations to help improve public transit, deter hitchhiking, and prevent violence towards Aboriginal women. Some of the recommendations from the symposium reported included, sorry, report included a shuttle bus operation along Highway 16, improved educational health and social services for Aboriginal people, as well as counselling and mental health groups that have been organised by Aboriginal workers. The Highway of Tears Symposium recommendation report was endorsed by the British Columbian Inquiry Commissioner, Wally Opal. Wally Opal also suggested implementing a shuttle bus service along Highway 16 to deter young women from hitchhiking. On the 24th of November 2015, the First Nations Health Authority and British Columbian Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure held the Northern Transportation Symposium in the town of Smithers in British Columbia. Their symposium included Aboriginal communities and municipalities along Highway 16 and focused on the issue of medical and non-medical transportation for those regions. Other discussions included and expanded upon the original 2006 Highway of Tears Symposium Recommendation Report, which was held in the city of Prince George, and also included the 2012 Missing Women Commission of Inquiry Recommendations. In June 2016, Transportation Minister Todd Stone announced that as a result of the collaboration across local communities, a bus service would become available along Highway 16. The project will be jointly funded by the Federal Government and the Government of British Columbia. In June 2017, a subsidised transit service began operations on alternate, alternating days 
along the 250 mile section between the city of Prince George and the rural village of Burns Lake. Thank you all for taking the time out to listen to this episode of Mark's Unexplained World. Our next episode, show 77, we are going to be looking at that old hag called sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis is a state in which one is conscious but in a complete state of full body paralysis. During an episode, one may hallucinate by hearing, feeling or seeing things that are not there, which then often result in fear. Episodes generally last no more than a few minutes. However, they can occur either multiple times or as one single episode in one night. The condition can occur in people who are healthy or people with narcolepsy or it may run in families as a result of a specific genetic change. The condition can be triggered by sleep deprivation, psychological stress or abnormal sleep cycles. This show was written and researched by myself, Mark Hughes, and proofread and edited by Linda Hughes. The actors in this episode were Mark Hughes, Linda Hughes and Denise Pooler. With special thanks to Neil Packer and the staff at the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre in Hinckley. And of course a big thanks to everyone for listening. Mark's Unexplained World. Because there's more to the paranormal than meets the third eye. And remember guys, keep it real, because being real is better than being perfect. This show and all its contents are covered by basic copyright of Mark the Medium. <laughs>